Welcome to the podcast on the nuclear effects of Micronesia. My name is Parker. Uh, my name's MJ, and I studied uh, the nuclear effects in Polynesia. I'm Maddie, and I researched Australia and their partake in this. So, one of the big things that I found was it might not seem like a big number, but there were 39 test sites in Micronesia by itself. That's a lot. Uh, it's kind of a big number for nuclear test sites. Yeah, especially considering that Micronesia is literally all just like small little islands. That's a yeah, lot. It's, it's mainly yeah. ocean and a little bit of island. Mm. Uh, in the Marshall Islands alone, there were about 66 tests conducted uh, between 1946 and 1958, which again, 66 isn't that big of a number, but when you think of nuclear tests that pretty much devastate and destroy your whole life. That's a... So it's actually interesting to me how in that same time, that same year of 1946, um, while the testing in the Marshall Islands was going on, there were actually a lot of Australians that had a fear of it since it was relatively close. Um, they actually were scared that since they were so close to it that the earth would be like split in two. When they were testing, they just had this fear that the Earth was just going to crack in half, and that it would basically just produce like earthquakes and change the Earth's climate. And they would actually think that massive tidal waves would like come and they just wipe them out. And they were terrified. That's crazy. <laughs> That'd be horrible. Yeah, I uh, could not imagine. I mean, in Australia, I also have uh, a firsthand account of uh, kids working in fields near test sites. And uh, it says he recalls a strange black smoke rolling over the whole field that they were working in. And then in the following weeks, everyone got a sickness. That's terrifying. That's like, that's like Bible yeah. type beats. Exactly. And I feel like that's scary too, especially as like a kid. Um, when you, you know, he sees strange black, black smoke, like he doesn't know what that is. So if you just see this black cloud in the sky, I would think that I was going to die. It was I just mean, honestly, as an, as an adult, even knowing that's what it is, too. that's terrifying as but well. But these kids must have been like, what is that? That's, I feel like if anything, scary. it might be worse as an adult that you know what's about to they happen. They probably knew what it, yeah. Especially like during the time, um... In Australia as well, there was a lot of political tension going on. And um, Australia was very split, like, between, like, the right, which was more conservative, and the left. Um, and they had a lot of people that were scared of nuclear testing, but they also had people that were, like, for it. So, yeah, a lot, like, a lot of those people must have known what was going on, and it was probably very scary to them. I wonder if the people who were for the testing actually knew what the testing was doing to other people. Yeah, they, a lot went on. So, there was, um, there was, like, on the right and the conservative part of it, they basically, this was, like, mostly during the Cold War, but they had like supported the nuclear testing um, and it pushed a lot of Australia's policies to be more like right wing. Um, and one of these conservatives was Robert Menzies. I'm not sure if that's fully how you pronounce it, but he was actually the prime minister in April of 1939, but he had to resign in 1941. Um, I didn't see much on why he had to resign, but he did become the prime minister again in 1949. 
And he had basically just, like, pushed these ideas that supported nuclear testing more and more and more, um, which actually, in a couple years later, had pushed Australia to become involved in the nuclear testing. And a lot of people were scared during that time of, like, what would happen to them. Yeah, not long after, 1949. Um, in 1952, it says that between the years of 1952 and 1957, um, Britain carried out 12 nuclear tests by itself, which was, I mean, not long after the prime minister was re-elected. Yeah, and that's really, that's really interesting because I did find that as well um, about the British text being conducted, but following that, I did also um, do some research, and I saw that two years later, Australia did begin supplying uranium to the UK and the US, um, to kind of like, because um, Robert was like still in power and he was basically supplying this stuff, which if you don't really know what that is, um, there was this thing called like the H-bomb basically, which is another word for the hydrogen bomb. And what it did was it took uranium and it split it and then it would go through the process of like fission, which would basically create the explosion. And so he had been supplying uranium from southern Australia to the UK and the US, which are like the countries that had been testing in the Pacific, um, especially in the Marshall Islands. Mm. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, from 1966 to 74, France actually detonated like 41 nuclear weapons. That's above ground, And that's only in the above ground tests. Um, but like you were talking about with like how it would affect people, um, a lot of like the documents surrounding a lot of France's tests were very like, um, classified and it was only recently in like 2013, um, when, uh, they really started like declassifying a lot of the documents. Um, and one of them, uh, one of the documents that was declassified basically talked about how, uh, 90% of the 125,000 people that were living uh, near the islands that they were testing on mm-hmm. were actually exposed to radiation, which is like 10 times more than what they originally uh, released to the public. That's really interesting to me. I wonder why they just, they. I mean, I know why they would keep it hidden for so long, because obviously it kind of implicates them and makes them look not so great. But I wonder why in 2013 they were just like, okay, we'll just release this now. Like, did they think they were in the clear? Or yeah, did they so, just... Well, it's, like crazy. Really it's crazy you ask that because um, there were actually... Uh, there was a big uprising um, about this whole thing. It was called the the Moruroa Files um, and the Fengatalfa Files. Um, and they were pretty much... Um, it was pretty much a question to the French government of how the French government was going to handle all of um, all of the like nuclear testing that they'd done and all of the displacement. Um, and people were pretty angry with the French government for continuously um, exposing the people of those different islands to radiation. Um, and so uh, they pretty much were uh, demanding compensation, the, like the people of those islands were demanding compensation from the French government because French soldiers who had been exposed to radiation and who had been exposed during those times had already gotten compensation mm-hmm. for their time there, but none of the people of those actual islands got any compensation. None of the people that were displaced or the people on surrounding islands that were affected by the radiation exposure 
none of them were ever given compensation for that. And so the the Moruroa files were basically um, how those people uh, were trying to fight back against the French government um, and basically gain the compensation that they thought they deserved. It's pretty crazy that they just, the French government just never thought, oh, here, we tested next to you, have some compensation. And I know, that was actually kind of like, the fact that they had, you know, provided compensation to like the soldiers and stuff that were there, but not the actual people that lived there. You know, these soldiers, like, they could go and, you know, they, they might have partaken in the testing, but at the end of the day, they were from France. So they really left and went back to France, but they kind of neglected the people that had already lived there. So, like, the people from Micronesia and Polynesia, um, Polynesia especially in this case, um, who kind of were just left behind, and they really, I mean, it's crazy to me how they just kind of, like, tested here with all these, like, nuclear bombs, and then they kind of just said, all right, bye, and they left them there, and they had to deal with all the effects on it. And with France, that's, like, insane to me how they had been lying to their people and I know that's unfortunately um, pretty common with governments, but still, the fact that there had been people living there for so long and they did not tell them that they were, like, basically getting sick from radiation and then they kind of lied to them and said, all right, well, you'll be okay. And then eventually these people were like, something's wrong here. And then they decide to come out and say it. And, you know, I feel like that's a big thing, to have your government lie to you like that and to be told, you might die from this, and, you know, you've been exposed to it so long, but and we didn't okay. tell you that there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you know, at this point, like, the effects of the radiation are almost kind of irreversible. Yeah, and it, it's crazy, too, because um, Fanga Taufa and Moruroa, those are those two islands were, uh, where a majority of the tests actually happened in mm -hmm. Polynesia. And this is this is such a crazy number, but a hundred approximately one hundred ninety three to one hundred ninety eight nuclear tests were done on just those two islands alone. That's a lot. Forty one to forty four of them were atmospheric, and one hundred and fifty four of them were underground tests. The exact number of the actual tests is still a classified. It's still a classified it's still thing, hidden, which, which is means crazy. there's probably a lot more. And, you know, it's actually really interesting because in my research on Australia, I did find some stuff in um, Micronesia that had said that some of the islands that they had, you know, tested on there had become, like, almost vaporized. They had almost, like, ceased to exist and, if not, had been completely wiped out because they had, you know, tested here over, like, 100, 200 times. And these are, like, decently small, like, islands when you look at them on the map. So that's just insane. Like when I read that and they said, yeah, most of these islands had just been completely wiped out and had basically been like they had never been there. Yeah. And uh, in 1975, um, the testing um, at Fangataufa and Mororoa were um, actually moved to underground tests. So all of the tests from 1975 on um, were all the underground tests, which is why there were so many of them. Um, but they were moved to, uh, they basically dug shafts into the basalt core of these, like, atolls, pretty much, and they would detonate the bombs there. And the reason they were actually moved there was because of international protest. So rather than stopping the nuclear testing, they decided, let's just hide it. <laughs> yeah, so during this time, 
Australia had been having a lot of protests as well um, with these types of things and also just the political tension at the time. But a lot of these people had started to notice the effects of like nuclear testing because Australia did become involved in this. Um, previously, it was like Western Australia had been set aside and they weren't exactly partaking and dropping them and testing them, but they were also like a viewing standpoint. So they would watch it and then they'd record the effects. And um, they also kind of stood by during the Cold War, especially to kind of watch for hostile countries and kind of act as peacemakers almost to stop a lot of these countries from dropping these bombs, you know? And because um, with the threat of like nuclear warfare constantly, they were always doing this. And then eventually, um, around the time of 1954, they had actually become involved in starting to supply these types of things like uranium and all that and partaking in dropping them and testing them. But a lot of the people at this time, like the Australian citizens, had begun to notice like the effects of it. Um, I believe I read that the Marshall Islands was only kind of like 3,000 miles away, which isn't super far or like really close, but it's kind of close enough for something that big for them to notice it. And actually, they described when they were kind of monitoring it that in like the Marshall Islands, they noticed radiation poisoning, birth defects, leukemia, cancers, and a lot of other health issues, which the U.S. ended up moving people from the Marshall Islands and such closer to Australia to, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, the Iowa talk Atoll, um, which was basically to just ensure their safety and ability to be moved to Australia if the effects continued to kind of harm them. Yeah. I think but, it's interesting, just adding on to that, um, they never really compensated with uh, health care to the people that they moved. Yeah. Until they had the, they were pretty much forced to sign something called the Compact of Free Association Agreement, which pretty much made them provide health care and housing to any Micronesians that they displaced because of said testing and stuff in that area it's kind of sad how they kind of destroyed a lot of these people's lives you know while they may have not like directly drop a bomb on their home they were still testing extremely close to it and they kind of like i don't want to say they forgot that the people had lived there but they definitely did not have them in mind like imagine if you're you know we're just living here whatever and someone drops a bomb on cincinnati like, that would have major, like, we would definitely die, but <laughs> that would have major health effects on people living in this, like, close area to Cincinnati. And yeah. it's just kind of like saying, well, you know, that sucks. But I, I definitely, like, when I researched, I saw a lot of health issues. But it's actually really interesting and kind of sad almost that the people of Australia were never listened to. Um, when they had said, hey, this is a big thing that's happening, and they had been protesting and saying, this is wrong, you're hurting these people, and this isn't just hurting the Pacific Islands, this is something that could be hurting everyone, and you know, you're also damaging the earth when you do this, and a lot of things that live here. It was actually interesting that they didn't stop, the U.S. didn't stop testing in the Marshall Islands until 58, like 1958, but 
they only really did that because of protesting and because a lot of radioactive fish that had been contaminated in the waters from nuclear testing near the Marshall Islands had been brought um, into recognition when they started washing up on shore dead. Hmm. And because Australia is kind of like a really large island almost, um, and they are coastal, a lot of their food is like seafood type stuff. And they had basically seen this and they were like, we can't eat this. This is starting to affect our food and stuff that we have here. Oh, yeah, it's And it was only then that they took it seriously, not when they were, you know, harming people in the Marshall Islands and other places like that. Yeah, and like um, they they found some uh, unwashed salad grown on the island of uh, Mangareva. Um, And it... It was found to have like 100 to 200 times the amount of radiation that a human is exposed to uh, through their like normal diet. And like what you were saying about like um, seeing the effects of like the radioactivity like in other places, like um, there were monitoring stations that were monitoring uh, radioactive fallout um, from the nuclear tests in um, Polynesia. They, They were noticing it as far away as like Peru and Mexico. Um, and then you also have some of these, you have, there was a study done by the International Atomic Energy Agency, um, and it found that, uh, there, the plutonium in those two lagoons, um, was the equivalent of about 15 kilograms of highly toxic metal. That's a lot. Yeah, that's like a ton. And like a, just a dose of several milligrams of plutonium is lethal for people. And like just one microgram can cause kidney damage and lung and liver cancer. And about 10 grams of uh, plutonium is washed into the sea every year from just those two test sites. And um, yeah, it's it's a lot. And like, um, and like, especially uh, like things like the military activity on all the atolls around, um, it, it showed like a massive increase in like fish poisoning as well. Um, and, uh, it's just crazy that, like, just, just the, just the testing on those two islands alone can have such a wide effect in so many different areas, not just in those, you know, two places. It's, it's also really sad that they tested so many times in these areas and they just did not think about the people that lived here or, you know, kind of like, the species of animals and such that had like left had been living there nearby like the fish that we had talked about how they were dying the fish never really did anything <laughs> so they just kind of lived there they were just there and they you know a lot of them had been wiped out because of it or the people who had been living in these islands in Polynesia and Micronesia had lost their homes and had to be relocated i mean imagine you know you just wake up one day And there's just a bunch of explosions outside of where you live. And, you know, you have to be taken and evacuated from this place that you've grown up in. And they're basically moving you somewhere completely different and telling you, you know, I don't know the next time that you can see your home. Because it had been at least a decade for these people. Oh, yeah. Um, Because the effects of radiation are crazy. We had talked about this before the podcast, but, like, even some places in Japan years after you still can't live there and I just feel like they never really took that into consideration with them and they kind of you know and I think that also plays a fact in the way that they had you know viewed them 
as like below them. Mm-hmm. Like they were almost like second class to them. They thought of them as kind of like savages and stuff. And so they didn't consider that these people actually had lives and families and oh, yeah. this was and their home. It, it's crazy because it's all still so recent too. Like test, like the nuclear testing in uh, Moruroa and Fangataufa, uh, it didn't stop until 1996. And like like I was talking about earlier, um, in 1975, the testing was moved to those underground uh, shafts um, because of the all of the... Um, protests of the nuclear testing but they didn't stop testing until 1996 again due to international protests but it's just crazy that it's still so recent i mean it's still so real um and it's it's crazy that even now there are still um there are still indigenous workers um and or you know those workers widows who are suing for the compensation that they think they sh- you know they think that they deserve and there are still 200 cases about that um, remain before the courts and nothing's happening and thing and everything is uh, still you know a lot of stuff consider a, lo- a lot of stuff surrounding the nuclear testing in Polynesia is still classified and so it's it's hard to it's hard to give those people the compensation and um, the rights that they deserve when we are still keeping things like this classified. And honestly, I feel like it really kind of just shows the power of the people. You know, like a lot yeah. of this, one thing I've noticed that was in common was that they really didn't stop doing these types of testing and such until the people had stood up and protested and said, this is not okay, we're not okay with this. And it kind of like, it's a really powerful thing almost that all these people had stood up and said that they weren't okay with it. And eventually, you know, the government just had to listen to them. And I feel like, you know, if we can continue to do that all over the world, things like this might eventually, you know, lessen a lot. I don't know if they'd ever come to a complete stop, unfortunately. But I feel like doing that... um, would actually be a really great thing for the government to listen to what the people have to say. Yep, I agree. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast today. It was wonderful to uh, get here and talk with my friends. So I hope you guys all have a great day um, and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.